Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. So there are a couple of, uh, of, I don't know, maybe they're sort of pop culturally, I don't know, pop culture headlines. Two, two headlines that I thought would be fun to lift up or interesting to lift up. One is related to Facebook. And when we think about the social media platforms where lots, I mean, we're talking about billions of people actually spend time and engage, Facebook is, you know, a top-tier social media platform. Um, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, is probably outpacing it. Um, and you may hear today that Michelle Obama uh, has now launched a daily face, uh, Instagram video. She's clearly being paid. There's clearly a company behind what she's doing, and there's some advocacy there. So, you know, I, I don't want you to think that she's just, like, spontaneously uh, grabbing her phone and making an Instagram video and posting it. That's not what's happening. All right. Facebook also has a new policy banning users from posting something called deep fakes. And deep fakes is something that we are likely going to talk about in the lead up to the 2020 election because we will see advertising that is actually fake. Uh, I mean, and when I say fake, I mean that the pictures, um, what a person appears to be doing is actually not something they have ever done. It is a it is a picture that has been doctored. Um, it is now a fake photograph. It is a fake image. It it has been um, uh, not only filtered, but it has been manipulated. A piece of one photograph um, superimposed on a piece of another photograph to make it appear as if an individual was in a place uh, doing something uh, that they have never done in a place they've never been. Um, deep fake videos take that to a whole new level where the um, uh, you know, the image of a person is, appears to be, again, in a video, in a place, doing something they have never done in a place they've never been. These are computer generated. They're highly manipulated and they are designed to um, spread misinformation. They are designed to um, spread lies. And so the concern is primarily political when we talk about uh, Facebook and their desire to, you know, not be a platform on which these deep fakes are disseminated. But I think that as Christians, there is a uh, there's a more foundational conversation for us to have. And that is a conversation about the truth and being people who are concerned about the truth, the truth about um, God, the truth about ourselves and the truth about others. And so if you find yourself ever tempted to uh, repost, share, uh, like in any way, become a purveyor of something that is anything less then the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God, um, then, then you have to pause and you have to say, am I a person who is genuinely a disciple of the one who is the way and the truth and the life, right? This is a, this is a discipleship question for you and me. It's not a question of whether or not, you know, we're going to be, you know, up on all the latest stuff on Facebook and, and our stream is going to become popular and people are going to repost our stuff and, and like what we've done. 
Okay, if that's where we are, if that's the applause that we're looking for in life, again, we have to we have to stop and ask ourselves, like, what am I doing here on this social media platform? I should be here as a missionary. I should be here as an ambassador of the king and the kingdom. I should be here as an agent of grace um, and certainly a purveyor of the truth and not a person who is in any way disseminating misinformation or these deep fakes. So it's a question of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And let us be people of truth on our social media platforms, um, purveyors of the truth, and certainly not people who are advancing or disseminating um, uh, that which is not true about individuals or their ideas. All right, up next, I am talking with Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He and I have a number of headlines to touch on. Um, So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Brett Nick, uh, he is an emergency room um, physician, and he is affiliated with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org. Happy New Year, Dr. Nick. Thank you. Happy New Year, Carmen. It's, uh, it's great to be back. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and uh, had some blessed time with your family. Absolutely. Yes to all of those things. And you as well? As well. I, uh, had to, I worked in the emergency department on some uh, nights and evenings around the Christmas and New Year's block, uh, but was able to spend time with family at the same time. So it was great. And we avoided the flu. So that's even better. So we avoided the flu as well. However, I, there was much, um, much laughing. I mean, this laughing is bad. It's bad. It was bad of me. I was bad. I was very naughty. Um, on, on Christmas, uh, we hosted everybody, but uh, it was like, and so I did all the cooking and so nobody's hands were cut. However, the number of people who got pocket knives or a, a, a new ceramic <laughs> knife or whatever. And so the next day I had three members of my extended family who posted on social media these horrible, horrible wounds to the ends of their fingers and their hands. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> didn't we just talk about this? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's we uh, we talked about it from the you know, shoot your eye out perspective. But yes, <laughs> exactly. The, the, the gifts and perspectives <laughs> of things that come, if nothing else, it teaches you what your grandmother may have taught, which is basic first aid at home. How do you manage the simple wounds right. and the simple injuries that come that I think is oftentimes lost now to uh, to Dr. Google? Well, no, none of my people um, took themselves. They All of them took care of it at home. So uh, it was anyway, I just thought that I would share that you, you came to mind over our holidays as many of my <laughs> members of my family got gifts that were that proved to be um, somewhat dangerous. All right. Let's uh, talk about a vaping update there. There's an update here related to vaping that people need to know. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So one of the things that's always great, we talk about the challenges that we see with vaping. We talked about the e-cigarette and the vaping-associated lung injuries and the stuff that we keep learning about that, one of the things that is important is we recognize how many young kids, uh, youth, uh, adolescents, even teenagers are in to using vaping on an increasing basis of things. And the Trump administration uh, started to crack down on this because many of them are flavored in a way that should attract younger kids. Fruit flavors, mint flavors, all these different types of things. Um, and they put a process in place that the manufacturers have 30 days to take these products off the market. Um, you know, that is a important step for health and human services. Uh, the health and human services secretary, Alex Azar, 
uh, made that announcement. And really what it's coming down to is, you know, we can't glamorize something that is so dangerous and so uncertain when it comes to youth, let alone uh, even adult use. And so that was a, a great step forward in that perspective. And then we have another um, step forward, and that is in relationship to the CDC identifying, hopefully, um, the culprit in many uh, vaping deaths. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at the CDC's records, you look at the facts that it, we talked about some of the different components of what have been in there. Uh, and many of the times it ends up being some of the processes that are in not just the chemical related to THC, but oftentimes we talked about the vitamin E acetate that they identify. They talk about several other aspects related to specifically the outbreak on uh, the lung injury process. And when you look at this, the investigators continue to look at it, and it's still in, this, in the process of speculation. But they believe since the numbers have been declining, but the cases have been uh, analyzed to a greater degree, that many times this vitamin E acetate, some of these plant oils as it relates to it, uh, and these, in addition, these medium chain triglyceride oils, uh, sometimes things like coconut oils and some other things, which are typically healthy for individuals, um, each of these, each of these individual aspects of what they have found have been closely associated with those that have the most significant injury. What's great about that is even if all of the e-cigarettes are not removed from market, the things that are in them that are causing these secondary reactions that really are causing the deaths that we're seeing with uh, the Avali cases, and in 48 of 51, they've been able to identify through the fluids in the lungs, what they believe the underlying issue is. So as we continue to see this, yes, the cases have declined, but they're still present. We still see them in the emergency department. It's great that the CDC has been able to identify what they perceive to be the culprit issue and that our administrative leadership in our country are stepping forward to say, hey, if that is what we believe it is, then we need to remove it immediately. And just to, you know, to put a warning out there to, you know, to parents and to grandparents um, as kids return to school, particularly as young people return to college uh, following Christmas break, you know, their exposure to that which others bring back with them is going to increase. And so now might be a time to uh, have a conversation with your um, with your middle school student, with your teenager, certainly with your college age student about the dangers related to vaping, about all of the um, faults or I mean, you know, the purveyors out there who um, are not regulated um, and, and just just to call them to attention that their lungs are precious and valuable um, and that this is this is something not to be messed around with. Maybe that's my that's, that's my mom version of the way I would address this. So um, Dr. Brett, Nick and I are going to be back in just a moment. We're going to talk about uh, marijuana and mental health. And that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Brett Nick, um, he is he serves with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. If you are uh, working it in any way in the healthcare, um, I was going to call it the industry. That's probably not the healthcare sector. Uh, we want to invite you to check out cmda.org. It's a great place for you to find fellowship with other uh, doctors and healthcare professionals. It's a great place for you to get information and education, um, as well as equipping on the moral issues that you face um, in, in healthcare, that those of us um, not in healthcare, right, we're counting on you as Christians in the healthcare sector to be not only up to speed on these things, but to lead us well. So cmda.org. Um, Brett, let's talk about um, this 
connection between marijuana and mental health issues? Absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it comes in the media. If you look back, it has been around in conversation for several years. Um, but before we, as we jump into this, let's talk about it as we finished out the vaping. One of the things that we commented on is that we see a lot of vaping, not just with nicotine, but with THC, the active ingredient that you see along with cannabinoid that are part of marijuana. And what we know about it is that the strength of what we're seeing in these e-cigarettes through vaping is so much stronger than what had been smoked, if you will, in the past. But also the strength of what is being grown in marijuana has higher rates of THC, which leads us to the discussion, which is that there are episodes where individuals who are otherwise healthy, who have a process where they are for a duration of time, uh, either vaping or smoking high levels of marijuana, have episodes where they are swinging wildly between depressive and this euphoric state, developing what is called a, can a cannabis-induced psychoses or a marijuana-induced psychoses. Now, there's a lot of speculation out there whether that is the only issue that is triggering it, as you know, with many of the states having their own regulatory processes where they have legalized it. But what we're seeing now with a lot of increased exposure, especially through e-cigarettes and through vaping, is otherwise young, healthy individuals who have been highly successful in their own regards uh, regarding careers. There's obviously the USA Today news that came out about this young 24-year-old baseball player uh, who had started smoking heavily for a duration of time and immediately went into uh, this psychotic disorder that was unspecified initially. And they basically state that, hey, if you remain off of pot, but your symptoms persist, then we're going to call this uh, marijuana-induced or cannabis-induced psychoses, which is a, a, a form of uh, mental health disorder that will not necessarily improve. And so we're looking at individuals that are taking something that is claimed to be safe because it's legalized and now having tremendous downstream effects, not just on functionality, but inducing uh, mental health disorders that otherwise may not be there. And this is something that is really, it's new um, and it's, it's physically devastating. So these young people um, who are otherwise perfectly healthy you know, they they start vaping with their friends. And once they're vaping these THC products, these marijuana derivative products, I mean, it seems as if the 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 trajectory is downward and it's very fast. The the they get there at a very rapid rate. Absolutely. And I tell you, it's one of these challenging issues where you have the proponents for legalization of marijuana and the, the reported benefits per se. But then you have some that are saying, hey, you know what, there's not a lot of support with this. But what we are seeing is that in states like Colorado, you have more than doubling of uh, serious mental health disorders between ages 18 and 25. At the same time, a dramatic increase in marijuana use, whether it be from vaping, THC or other types of things, as well as a substantial increase in suicide rates really from the years 2012, 2018, 2010, 2015. But all of these things were going in place. And it's very difficult to not ask the question, are these related? Hmm. Okay, let's um, let's do one good news story um, because, you know, we can't just have like all all bad news related to health. Let's do a good news story. Um, and this one's about tuberculosis. Uh, first of all, remind us what TB is um, and then give us the good news. Give us the good news related to it. So TB is amazing. It, it kills more people around the world than any other infectious disease. Uh, it is one that uh, you can get basically from a aerosolized process. Somebody who has active TB, oftentimes in the lung, they'll be coughing. So it gets into the air. People get exposed to it. And unless they have 
uh, either uh, a vaccine associated with it or their exposure is not profound enough, they can actually succumb to TB. And just to give you a perspective on that, in general, every year, 10 million people catch TB. And approximately 1.5 to maybe 2 million people will die from it. What's fascinating about it is there's been a vaccine around, uh, and it's called a BCG, the letters BCG. A vaccine has been around for a while, but it, it's, it's not touted to be highly successful, very good in that process. And a lot of the research say that really, even at its best, maybe 80%, some say it's as low as 1%. It depends on many different factors. And so let's just say you're flipping a coin as to whether you're really protected or not. Uh, researchers recently, um, a vaccine researcher out of Albert Einstein College of Medicine and another from University of Pittsburgh, were looking at a couple different things and saying, hey, what if we changed the vaccine dosing and gave these really high doses as an injection processed into the bloodstream? And they've been doing this on monkeys for some time, and they found at this point in time that they, in the monkey population that they've been testing it in, it's looking like it's 90% effective. Can you imagine if what they are doing is then moved forward and shown to be valued in human population, where we are looking at 10 million people being affected, almost 2 million dying every year, but now we could have a vaccine that would save 90% of those lives. That would be profound. That would be profound. Um, obviously, there are risks associated not only with any vaccine, but um, certainly at the level of dosage they're talking about. So we're not talking about something that's being tried on people yet, um, but we are talking about, you know, the a hope, right? A a hope that might be set before um, the 10 million people who contract tuberculosis every year and the 1.7 million people who, who die from it. Um, Dr. Bretnick, thank you uh, so much. What's uh, what's top of mind or top of list today in the in the heart and mind of the Christian medical professional? You know, one of the things that's really, really profound within the Christian medical professional, especially in the healthcare industry, is uh, the concept of resiliency. And it's very, very difficult to bring your best capacity to treat people and to meet them where they are in their lives, medically or otherwise, unless you are grounded yourself and understand the concept of spiritual wholeness, physical wholeness, mental wholeness, and being able to find that balance and making sure that if you are not carving out time to ensure that you are feeding yourself, it's very, very difficult to assist others. Hmm. All right, we've, we've been praying for you, and we will be praying for others in the medical profession that um, not only would you be resilient, but that your self-care would be uh, would, would be a demonstration of the gospel itself. Yeah, couldn't speak it better that way. Uh, I'll tell you, it's one thing to, uh, to do it. It's another thing to, to have people lifting you up. So we, uh, we definitely encourage prayers towards all physicians and specifically the Christian physicians that continue to try to elevate the game. Amen. Thanks so much, Dr. Brett Nick. You guys can check out what they're doing at cmda.org. We'll be right back. So we get frequent emails from listeners who are also um, parents, and we just received one this morning, uh, a parent looking for some help related to um, the anxiety that their child is experiencing and not knowing how to address uh, questions that, um, that are, you know, not only anxious, but, you know, this... This child demonstrates behaviors that this parent, you know, experiences as, and here's the word, bipolar, right? That the, the child vacillates widely between um, between these euphoric, joyful periods and then, you know, the 
the sort of collapsing on the floor, um, inconsolable uh, screaming. All right. So here's the question. What do we do? What do we do as parents or grandparents, caregivers, teachers, educators, uh, members of the church, when we have families who have children and adolescents who are suffering with a wide range of mental disorders and mental illnesses? Well, my next guest, Matthew Stafford, literally wrote the book on the topic. Um, His first book, Grace for the Afflicted, sort of sets the stage. This one is called Grace for the Children. Finding Hope in the Midst of Child and Adolescent Mental Illness. Um, I would expand the mental illness category to include all of the range of um, mental challenges, disorders that kids and adolescents face today. So we're going to talk about grace for the children with Matthew Stafford up next on Mornings with Carmen. So let me just go ahead and say you're going to want to get today's podcast for this hour, um, particularly if you have in your life, um, in your congregation, families with children who are somewhere on the autism spectrum, which since one in every 59 kids is, this uh, this is for everybody. Maybe you have uh, a, a child in your life, a student in your congregation who you know, suffers with ADHD or disruptive behavior disorder, depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, they're obsessive compulsive or have related disorder, or maybe they have an eating disorder. So when we're, we're talking in, um, in this next segment with Matthew Stanford, um, and, we, and we have these conversations about um, real help and real hope, this is going to be something that you're going to then want to share with somebody else later on. And you're going to say to yourself, how do I do that? Well, you're going to go to MyFaithRadio.com. You're either going to go to the Mornings with Carmen page or you're going to click on the word podcast at the top of MyFaithRadio.com and you're going to find today's second hour. That's that's this hour. And you're going to get the link and you are going to send that link to your friend, to your pastor, to the person in, um, in your network of relationships who has a child who is suffering. Um, because we want to bring real hope and, and we want to offer real help. And one of the ways that we do that is by sharing the information that you're hearing live via the podcast later on. So just make a plan now to go get today's podcast at MyFaithRadio.com and plan to share it with somebody in the children's ministry at your church. Plan to share it with a parent, a teacher, um, a a friend who has a child or children um, with some kind of, of mental illness, mental disorder or challenge. So my conversation with Matthew Stanford is next. This is Max Locato. Pentecost was the busiest day of the year in Jerusalem, and Jesus' followers were gathered in prayer, not separated from society, but smack dab in the center of it. Once God had them where he needed them, the Holy Spirit came upon them suddenly, first as wind, then as individual tongues of fire, individual flames hovering over each person, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. People from all over the world heard the wonderful works of God. Whatever could this miracle mean? At least this much. God loves the nations. He has a red-hot passion to reach every people group on the planet. He loves everybody, and that includes you, my friend. This is Max Lucado. 
standing in the sun. Joining me now, Matthew Stanford. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, his latest book, which is Grace for the Children, Finding Hope in the Midst of Child and Adolescent Mental Illness. You will also want to check out um, his first book uh, or, the, or the book prior to this, which is Grace for the Afflicted. Um, Matthew, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me. So um, when we talk down this list of concerns, um, I, I mean, I, I'm confident that everybody listening is like me, and they're thinking, yes, autism in my family and in the classroom of my kid. Yes, ADHD in my family and in the classrooms um, at my church. Um, depression, bipolar disorder, something that I'm seeing in an increasing number of teenagers. Anxiety, something that I just feel like is absolutely rampant. When we talk about this list of concerns and we talk about um, this this equipping that you're providing in this book, Grace for the Children, um, I just want you to invite people into the help that is available because what you're offering is real hope. Yeah, absolutely. There is hope. I, I think a lot of times we think that diagnosis of a mental illness or developmental problem is some type of death sentence, and that's just simply not true. I mean, one out of every five Hey, we're going to have to, um, Matthew, we're going to have to pause right there. We can't actually hear you, so we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to reconnect with you via the phone. Friends, we'll be right back. I know everybody wants to hear this full conversation uh, with Matthew Stanford about Grace for the Children on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ted Ross with the Faith in Life Minute. How can you work well with your coworkers? Here's Jimmy Collins, former president of Chick-fil-A. I used to be in the career war. Uh, when I say that, some people here in the South say, you mean Korea? I'm talking about C-A-R-E-E-R. And what I found is everybody was fighting. All of us, we wanted the authority, we wanted the titles, we wanted all the corner offices and the keys to the executive restrooms. And nobody wanted to work with each other. And one day it just dawned on me, this is no way to advance a career. And I decided, instead of looking for authority, I'm just going to take responsibility. I'm going to take the difficult and dirty jobs and just get them done. And what happened? Once I would take responsibility for it, people would join with me and help me do it. Because they knew if it goes wrong, Jimmy takes responsibility. But if this works out, we all get to share in the credit. Hear more from Jimmy Collins at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, returning to my conversation with Matthew Stanford. Um, he is the CEO of Hope and Healing Center and Institute in Houston, Texas. He also teaches in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sci- Sciences at, Bay- at Baylor College of Medicine and the Department of Psychology at the University of Houston. He's the author of Grace for the Afflicted. Uh, he is also the author of the book we're discussing today, Grace for the Children, Finding Hope in the Midst of Child and Adolescent Mental Illness. Um, again, Matthew, set up the conversation that there is hope and then maybe just jump right in to some of the practical ways that those of us in the church can help um, those with mental health challenges. Right. You know, absolutely there is hope. And I think uh, what people have to understand is the majority of adults and children that engage uh, mental health treatment do get better. Uh, and, and many of us get significantly better to the point that the mental health issue just becomes something in the background that's just easily managed or not even there anymore, much like with diabetes. The problem uh, today is that a majority of people with mental health problems never receive any treatment in the United States. And, and I think that's a, something you really have to pause and think about. Uh, I'm not saying that they 
get a little bit of treatment, they get no treatment. Uh, and so 50% of children, adolescents with serious mental health conditions never receive any treatment. Uh, and, and that's really where the church uh, comes in because people in psychological distress um, are more likely to go to a clergy before they go to a mental health care provider or a physician. And the same thing is true for the families of children that are struggling with mental health issues. And so Clergy's really need, clergy need, really need to be prepared to recognize that and be able to make a proper referral. So what we can do within our churches, we can begin to talk about it uh, to help destigmatize it, to make it an open place where we can discuss our problems, and, and what better place to do that than in a church. Uh, we also can be a, a point of referral where we connect people to services in the community. We also can be a place where we offer support groups and supportive care through pastoral care uh, for families and individuals that are struggling with these problems, uh, have our youth groups well-trained to uh, help recognize these early on in children, because obviously when we recognize things early, we're able to treat it more early, and then it doesn't get as bad. So really, faith communities are the answer to the crisis. They're accessible. Uh, they're supportive, healing communities. And that's exactly what the mental health care system desperately needs. So where does a church start? Like what might be, you know, when you you think of the, of the list of ways that a church is going to um, – come alongside and really um, not only support, but encourage forward these families? What, what, is, what is step one? I think step one has to start from the upper leadership. And I think the simplest thing that they can do is I think the, the pastor and the leadership team need to decide they're going to begin to offer sermon series on mental health-related issues. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, one out of every five individuals, both adult and children in the United States are struggling with a mental health problem. I mean, that's an unbelievable number of people. Uh, you know, when we had, you know, we had about that with uh, people getting the flu and we're putting up hand sanitizers in churches because we're soaking, you know, little things about washing your hands. Why are we not doing that about mental health issues? So, you know, do a sermon series on depression, do a sermon series on anxiety, do a sermon series on trauma and begin to start a conversation and then start to build in, say, things like support groups or opportunities for people to learn how to become lay counselors or pastoral care teams, um, you know, connect with local mental health care providers that you feel comfortable referring your people to, that you can work with collaboratively. It's not an issue of sending your people away to get help and have them come back. It's an issue of being involved in a collaborative team to help your people recover and, and heal. And you provide that spiritual grounding, and that spiritual foundation. But what God has also done for us is he is sending these people to us first. There is no other medical condition that can be named in which the individual is more likely to go to a clergy before they go to a medical professional. Mental health issues are the only one. Um, I'm going to direct people to um, hopeandhealingcenter.org for, for some additional resources today, hopeandhealingcenter.org. The book that we're discussing is Grace for the Children, Finding Hope in the Midst of Child and Adolescent Mental Health. Um, Matthew, maybe um, what's the question you have heard the most since um, since you published uh, the the book that that's prior to this one, so the setup for this book, um, Grace for the Afflicted, really then produced this next book. Um, what maybe what was the number one question that you heard from people across um, across the culture? Right. Well, the, you know, the first book primarily focuses on uh, disorders in adults, and then people were screaming for a book that discussed it in children. And I think one of the reasons that that is, is because 50% of all chronic mental health conditions 
<coughs> excuse me, are in place by the time someone is 14 years old. Hmm. And 75% are in place by the time they're 24. So in that fifth, 14 to 24-year range, that's where the, the predominance of mental health problems are beginning to surface. And th- those are children. And so I think people wanted to see that. So I think, you know, really the for parents out there, excuse me, whether they're Christian or not, one of the main questions they want to have is, should I give my child medication? You know, is that going to damage my child more than it's going to benefit them? Uh, and I try to speak to that in the book. I mean, in some instances, medication is very necessary to help manage the symptoms. But medication is no magic bullet. Uh, and I think another uh, caveat is that we have done very little research on the way these adult medications affect children. Very little research has been done on their efficacy in children and their bad effects and good effects on children. Uh, and so, But there are talking therapies that are effective. Uh, and like any type of condition, these things are, are best treated when they're recognized early before they're, you know, and a lot of times in, in the mental health profession, we say mental health issues are the only issues that you wait till they're in stage four before you get any help. Uh, and so I think that's another thing. I think, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, how do I get help for my child? You know, where do I go? And I think finally, you know, really is this kind of differentiation. When a child begins to show aberrant behavior or abnormal behavior or odd thoughts and feelings, typically they're pushed down kind of a, they're kind of pushed down the behavioral track. This is this is a bad kid, and he needs to be kind of reshaped into a better kid, uh, as opposed to there could be something wrong with my child, and I need to I need to help him get better, you know, go to a, get some treatment. And so I think that's another one of the questions: is trying to determine whether a child is having a serious behavioral problem. They're disobedient. They're acting out. You know, what are the, what is that caused by? Versus they have some type of underlying pathology that might be driving that. All right, you and I do need to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Dr. Matthew Stanford about grace for the children, finding hope in the midst of child and adolescent mental illness. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Matthew Stanford, we are talking about grace for the children, finding hope in the midst of child and, and adolescent mental illness. Um, I want to encourage you to check out two websites, Hope and Healing Center, hopeandhealingcenter.org, and then also mentalhealthgracealliance.org. Those are some websites that you can turn to um, for help related to um, the intersection of what I would call the Christian faith and the reality of mental health uh, concerns and issues in the culture today. Um, Dr. Stanford, when we, when we talk about um, stigma, I think this is the one concern that probably rises to the top. Like everybody knows a child uh, or a family with a child with autism. Everybody knows a family with a child who has ADHD or some disruptive behavioral um, disorder. We all know teenagers with depression and anxiety. Um, Sadly, we know an increasing number of of children with post-traumatic stress. Um, And yet there's a lot of denial in the church in terms of the array of help and treatment that is necessary. Um, just address that. No, there's a tremendous amount of stigma. In the general population, there's a tremendous amount of stigma. People with mental health problems are thought to be weak or uh, just lazy. 
perhaps someone to be feared that might become violent. Uh, children are just looked at as bad. But when you get in the church, you get this kind of ugly spiritual crust on that where you start to add in things like, well, she just prayed more. She was a little bit better parent if she, you know, made her, if she homeschooled her child, which is, a, you know, one that a good friend of mine <laughs> told me after the death of her son, after the death of her adult child oh. by suicide, uh, she and she's a very prominent uh, white pastor's wife. Uh, she received an email from uh, a, a caring Christian that said, your son would be alive today if you had homeschooled him. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, w- what is the thought process there? So, you know, really kind of ugly things are said. And I think a lot of times that's because we, you know, we're fearful and we don't understand, but also we try to associate our own experience. You know, I have children and they don't have those problems and I must be a better parent if you were just a good parent. Uh, and that's very self-righteous. You know, it's very much like the disciples tell, asking Jesus why the man was born born blind, you know, not being concerned about the fact that he is blind and suffering and needs assistance, but they want to know why, what did he do wrong or his parents do wrong, because it's a very self-righteous question, and we still ask it today. I mean, really what we need to do is we need to understand that these are absolutely debilitating problems that destroy individuals and families if they go untreated, and God has divinely orchestrated an opportunity for us to be the entry point for these people into recovery and care uh, so that so that uh, the hope that we have in him can be the foundation of that recovery. And so for us to look at a parent who has a child who has really difficult ADHD and is acting out in Sunday school and say, well, if he would just spank him more or punish him more, he'd be, you know, different, really is a is is really kind of thumbing your nose at the fact that God has orchestrated an opportunity for us to care for people that are desperately struggling. The world has been unable to care for them. Our mental health system does not work. I, I just said earlier, a majority of people receive no care in the United States. Uh, and so, you know, the church has an opportunity, and for us to somehow come up with a self-righteous kind of spiritual approach, uh, I think is really kind of uh, really disturbing, uh, when really what we have to do is say, look, that person is struggling, and it doesn't really matter what, how, what I think, why that happened, or how that happened. All that matters is that they're struggling, and I need to come alongside them, and walk with them, and share with them the love that Christ has shared with me. Uh, that I didn't deserve, uh, and perhaps lead them to some resources that my church has been able to put together that might help their family. Um, The book is A Gift, Grace for the Children, Finding Hope in the Midst of Child and Adolescent Mental Illness. If you're listening to this today and you know this book is for you, I want you to reach out to us. All you have to do is text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Just text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. We have uh, a handful of copies to give away, um, thanks to our friends at, uh, at IVP. So Dr. Matthew Stanford, thank you so much. I'm going to direct people to two websites, hopeandhealingcenter.org and mentalhealthgracealliance.org. And again, if you want to uh, enter the drawing to receive one of the copies of Grace for the Children that we have here in studio. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Dr. Stanford, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. I have just enough time right now to tell you to have a great day and God bless. It's my privilege to be with you each and every day here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.